So today we're continuing our series on Nehemiah. We're looking at chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 to 14 to start. So when word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let us meet in one of the villages on the plains of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project, and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sambalat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter which, it had, which was written. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, above these reports, you're about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They were trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, and I strengthened my hands. One day I went out to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mahatabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away, or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him. But they had prophesied against me because Tobias Sambalat had hired him, and he had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name and discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Nodiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elah in 52 days. I love it when Nehemiah says, I am carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop and I go down to you? What he's saying is, I'm doing a great work and I cannot stop. What's great about this work or this project is that God had called him to it. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. He was living the dream. He lived in a palace. He went where the king went. He ate what the king ate. And he left all of this to go and build a wall. People would have thought that being a cupbearer was his great work. But God had called him to this wall. So what's the great work that God's called you to do? We've all been called to a great commission, but do you know what your great work is? God's got a big task for you. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, it tells us this. Dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain.
So God's got great work for you. He's got great work for each of us. It may be feeding the poor people, people on the edges of society. It may be praying for the community, praying for healing, sharing words of encouragement. It could be raising a family to know Jesus. It could be cleaning the church or serving coffee. If God's called you to do it, then that's a great work. Everything that God calls us to do is great. Everything that God calls us to do will work towards his plan and his purpose. I once, when I was younger, tried to take apart a clockwork train. It was a train that ran around on a big oval track. It was made of metal, and I managed to get the top off, the ornate bit that looked train-like. And inside was this black box, which the key would go into, and there was a coil sticking out the top and two pins holding it all together. So I prized these two pins out, and bang, there were parts everywhere. I learned two things at this point. The first thing I learned was, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And the second thing I learned was that every part, no matter how small it is, is important. Those pins that held it all together, without those pins, there was no way it was going to work again. I can't remember whether it was me or my father or one of my friends that got it back together, but I do remember it running again, so all the parts did go back. But it doesn't matter if God's called you to be the front man in a major movement or the lead vocalist in a chart-topping worship band, or if God's called you to be a mother or a father or a cleaner or something that maybe only a few people will ever know about. Whatever it is you're called to do, you don't have time to be distracted from it. Now, Nehemiah had finished the walls and there were no gaps left, just the gates left to hang and then it was done. The city was fortified, it was defended against attack. The enemies of Jerusalem could see this and they needed to do something. This was their last chance. If they didn't do something now, it was going to be too late. They needed to stop progress and stop it sharp. So they sent a message. Now imagine what they were saying was, hey, Nehemiah, let's meet up for a chat. Let's get together. They said, come down into the fields of Ono and we'll find a village. And Nehemiah said, oh, no. Because he knew the will of God. He knew his enemy was against him. He knew the work he was doing was work that God had sent him to do. And it's far too easy for us to get distracted from God's work, to drift off into something else, not to finish the job, not to give it top priority. And that's what the enemy wants. He wants us to be distracted with trivialities. If the enemy can delay God's work, then the enemy will delay God's work. Let's not allow ourselves to get distracted. Now, Nehemiah had to endure this not only once, but four more times. The same message wouldn't it have been easier just to go down in the village and meet with them? But Nehemiah was not willing to delay what he was doing because he was doing a great work. And Nehemiah knew that God was with him. He knew God's heart. There are so many distractions around us these days. I use my Bible app on my phone to read the Bible. And as I'm reading my verse of the day or a passage that I'm reading, Facebook will tell me that somebody's posted a picture or that my parcel's going to be delivered between 11.49 and 12.48 tomorrow. A distraction by the dictionary definition is something that stops somebody or prevents somebody from giving their full attention to something else. Last night I was um, in the house and I, I was walking through the living room, which as I say, it makes my living room sound grander than it is. But I was, <laughs> it's not that big. I was walking through the living room and Amy had an ornate bottle for her, for her uh, birthday, 
that she puts drinks in, and she asked me to get her a bottle of squash. So I said, yeah, no problem, and I took the bottle, and into the kitchen I went, and Tristan was sitting down watching some video on his phone, probably about cats or something. Um, and I, I sat down, I watched some of those with him, and then I walked back through the, kitchen, through the living room on my way back to where I was. And Amy's like, Dad, have you forgotten something? I was like, yeah, I forgot your drink. And the thing is, it's, it's so easy to get distracted. It's so many things that will be pulling us away. But the biggest distraction for us is in here and in here, in our heads and in our hearts. And this is how it works. It's really subtle. We self-justify. We say, once I've had a rest, I'll be able to do that job. We say, when I retire, then I'll be able to serve God. When I get my promotion, my pay rise, and I've got more money, then I'll give to the church. But when you know your priority and your purpose, you won't want to be distracted. We're here to be a blessing to those around us, to bring glory and honor to God. We don't have time to be distracted. At the moment, myself and Sousa decluttering our house. And if you know us, I guess you know that this is probably going to be a time of conflict because some of my household may have different views on what is and what isn't clutter. I declutter the curtains. Um, we haven't got any curtains left. We've only got blinds now. And I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. But it made me happy. <laughs> so, um, but it's, yeah, what we're doing is it's, it's doing a good thing in the house. The house looks better. We've got less stuff around. Um, I was going to say less junk, but that will get me in a lot of trouble when I leave here. And it's a good job. And it will make a difference to us. It will make the house nicer. But it's not a great work. It's not our purpose. Because a great work is not about you or me. Great work is about God, it's about his plan and his purpose for his glory. Don't get distracted from your great work. Nehemiah said four times, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. This is the heart and soul of Nehemiah, this is what defined him. And the enemy will try all sorts to stop us in our tracks. So you don't have time to be distracted. And secondly, you can't afford to be discouraged. So there was a new strategy, false accusation. They accused Nehemiah of trying to become king, of sending false prophets out to declare this to the people. Let's meet together to discuss these things. Sambalat doesn't take no for an answer. He keeps on coming, he doesn't let up. This time he sent an open letter. Now in the time of Nehemiah, if you're going to send an open letter... Sorry, if you're going to send an official letter of any kind, you're going to seal it. You're going to put your stamp on it and seal it with wax because this will give it credibility, authority, and privacy. But Sambalat sends this open letter on purpose. It's like an insult or a slap in the face because an open letter isn't the way that an official will communicate with another. An open letter is a way that you'd pin something to a door for everyone to read. You'd do it if you wanted something to be known. An open letter is like when you see a planning application nailed to a lamppost. Sambalat had used this as a way of disrespecting Nehemiah. He wanted the contents of this letter to come out. He wanted it to become propaganda. He wanted the rumors he'd put in this letter to spread and everyone who comes into contact with it to read it and to believe it. And that's why he's left it open. Have you ever been in Nehemiah's shoes? somebody spread rumors about you or somebody misrepresented the things you're doing? And how do you respond to that? Do you plead your case? 
Do you let it distract you from your great work? Nehemiah refuses to give it any time. He acknowledges them only to deny them and dismiss them as lies. He says this, they were trying to frighten us, thinking our hands will get weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Today we've got a similar weapon available to the enemy. We've got social media, we've got group messaging, we've got the world wide web. The enemy will attack our works in any way possible and doing it publicly will distract us. It will take our eyes off the work that we're doing and draw us into the defensive. It will take our eyes off God and tempt us to look at the enemy trying to convince him that we're doing the right thing. Sambalat is attacking Nehemiah's character under the guise of looking out for him. He says, hey, let's get together. Let's work this out. Let's talk about it. Ultimately, it's the same strategy. Let's meet. Let's consult together. It would have been so easy to get discouraged at this point. People would have been talking. Nehemiah would have been aware of it. He would have been aware of the open letter. And things were getting tough. Why should he continue? But no, our hero prayed. It doesn't say he prayed long religious prayers. He didn't use big Christian words. He didn't quote scripture at God. He prayed simply, I strengthen my hands. When things get tough, don't get distracted. Don't get discouraged. Turn to prayer. Short arrow prayers in the midst of a battle. Lord, help me. Lord, guide me. Lord, protect me. Lord, give me strength. Lord, give me words. Phil's spoken over the last few weeks about the future of the church providing facilities to the community. Food bank, debt counselling, breakfast clubs. One thing we can guarantee is the enemy will not be cheering us on. We can expect opposition. Let's not let it distract us from our great work. Don't let it discourage us. We need to stay focused on glorifying God and his purpose for this community. So we don't have time to be distracted. We can't afford to be discouraged. And we're going to need to be discerning. In verse 10, we're introduced to Shemaiah. It's the only mention of him in Scripture. And he appears to be some sort of prophet, and Nehemiah knows him. He knows who he is, and Nehemiah goes over to his home so Shemaiah can give him a prophetic word. They're coming to kill you, and they're coming tonight. Now, this seems logical. Nehemiah knows that they want to stop him. He knows that time's running out, and he knows that he's on the last phase of the build. Then Shemaiah suggests that they go to the temple and they shut the doors. And immediately, Nehemiah knows that something's wrong. The implication is that Shemaiah wants Nehemiah to hide out in the holy place where only priests can go. There's no way his enemies would find him there. And if they did, they wouldn't dare attack him. If he runs in ways and hides, that didn't come out right, did he? If he, if he runs away and hides, <laughs> then um, it would keep him from doing what God had called him to do. Nehemiah says, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go to the temple to save his life? I will not go. What Nehemiah is saying is, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. If someone tells you to stop doing something that God has plainly told you to do, you know that that person isn't speaking from God. 
Nehemiah recognizes that straight away. In verse 12, it says, I realized that God had not sent him, but he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He'd been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin. By doing this, then they would give me a bad name and discredit me. These guys wanted Nehemiah to be afraid. They wanted him to fear for his life so he'd sin. And then with his character compromised, with his credibility shot, they could have really undermined him. This could have been their opportunity. But with Nehemiah's knowledge of the word and with his discernment, he managed to see that this guy was a false prophet and that he was. We need to be aware of the enemy's tactics. We need to be discerning as to which voices we listen to. There is no substitute for Scripture, for the words of God, and it's been recorded for us and translated into our own language. And this is the voice of God. This is how you detect error. This is how you know if something is wrong when you compare it to the Word of God. If you want to know God, if you want, to, if you want discernment, get to know His voice. Get to know His Word. And Nehemiah knows the Word. He knows God. And he knows what God has called him to do. So again, he's not distracted by what's happening. He's not discouraged by the apparent threat on his life. Again, he sets his heart and his mind to do the will of God. And then once again, he prays. And this time he prays for his enemies. Nehemiah says, Lord, I have been called to do a great thing. And I don't have time for distractions. I don't have time to fight with my enemies. Lord, will you remember them? Will you bring them to justice? Will you fight for me because I am doing your great work? A way to avoid the temptation of fights, battles, distractions, and discouragement is to remember that God has called each and every one of us to a great work. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, then you have a great work. This great work may be being a husband or a wife, parent or a grandparent, a friend or a neighbor, a son or a daughter. Accept the responsibility that God has given you. Do the great work and do not come down. Study the passage, stick it to your mirror. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Get it into your heart. Nehemiah is a great example of somebody doing a great work and not coming down. But Jesus is a better example. If we read Mark 15 in the light of Nehemiah, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. And Jesus, in the light of Nehemiah, in essence is saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. And he didn't come down until it was finished. And they took him down. And he gave his life for building the kingdom. And I know we're not Nehemiah. And I know we're definitely not Christ. But in Galatians 2.20 it says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. 
but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ is in us so we can do our great work. What would happen if we all followed the example set by Nehemiah? If we all got down on our knees and fell on our faces and cried, Lord, use me. Use me to bring glory to your name. And what if we saw clearly what God had prepared for us all to do? And we actually did it? What if we, as the body of Christ, said to the enemy, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down? Guys, don't be distracted. Don't be discouraged. Be discerning. Do your great work. Father God, I pray that as a body, as a family, we hear from you, we see what you want us to do, what you want us to achieve, how you want us to build your kingdom in these communities around us, Lord. I pray you show us, I pray you open our hearts to you so we can hear what you're saying. Pray you save us from distractions, from conflict, from the enemy. Protect us and watch over us, Lord, as we do this. But Lord, let us build your kingdom here in these nations. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you.